in marketing, it's critical they're great listeners. If they're great listeners and they capture and they hang on every word mm -hmm. of the customer, both the internal customers within the organization and the external customers out in the field, mm -hmm. uh, at the hospitals, at the doctor's office, at the, the clinics, uh, that that's really critical that they understand and they capture every little nuance of of what the customer's trying to tell you. Welcome to Message Engineer. I am Maureen Schaefer, and every week we are turning to some of the leading lights in the medical devices business world to learn how to improve our messages to drive funding and revenue. And today we're here with Rich Walsh. Uh, Rich has more than 30 years experience in the medical device industry, rising up through sales from US Surgical to Perclose to Intuitive Surgical, Atricure, and Eclarent. Uh, Rich is a four times vice president of sales and now president and CEO at Corvent Medical innovator of the robust Respond line of ventilators for plug and play functionality outside the ICU. Rich is joining us today from his home in Delaware. Rich, it's wonderful to have you here. Thanks, Maureen. Uh, it's uh, truly a delight to be with you this morning. Thanks to everyone who's listening in. Feel free to type your thoughts, comments, where you're listening in from uh, in the comments box. And we want to hear what's on your mind. All right, so Rich, we're gonna start with a little, uh, what I call define that word warm up. <laughs> so uh, think about the, the boundary of kind of med medical device space. And what I wanna do is just share a word with you and hear your kind of unfiltered, you know, what pops into your mind. Okay. All right. Uh, Start with an obvious one, marketing. Love it. Essential to the business plan. I never really understood how critical it was till I met my first really good marketing person. Uh, and that was way back at US Surgical. Uh, it was a marketing machine. Uh, Leon Hirsch, the founder, really drove marketing quite a bit. And uh, everything that came out of U.S. Surgical was driven by marketing, and they did a great job. Everything from, you know, prototyping at the very beginning, working with the engineers, all the way to delivering it to the end user out in the field. And I really learned a great appreciation for marketing back then. Sales. Love sales. Uh, that's where I cut my teeth. I didn't think I'd be, ever be able to be a salesperson coming out of the military. In fact, the first recruiter that I met with uh, handed me a pen and said, sell me this pen. And I failed miserably. And they recommended that I go for a janitorial job, at which point I said, no, I think I'm going to go into sales someday. So I went out and a friend of mine was in sales and he helped me through the process. And I really took to it like a duck in water. And I've loved it ever since. And it, it really is a passion because it really, it's about filling the need of the customer and helping them understand what's important to them and then getting them that product. So it's been, uh, it's been 30 years of doing that. 
and it's been great fun. Message. Messaging's critical. You know, you can see companies that miss on the messaging and they struggle for many years. And uh, it's, it's about understanding, again, it's going back to understanding what's critical or really truly important to the customer and then developing that message around your product and your service and delivering it to the customer uh, in a con concise, succinct message. And, you know, marketing really does help quite a bit with that. Uh, the salespeople sometimes help, but it's, uh, it's really marketing frames that out very nicely most of the time. Two more words. So failure. There are two types of business people out in the world, those that have failed and those that will fail. And failure is, you know, it's just something that is going to happen. And uh, you can sometimes do everything to avoid them and, and you're doing everything right, but it's the circumstances, it's the environment. Uh, and here's a great example. Uh, when the pandemic hit, uh, you know, there were many, many startup companies that had a great product and that had great messaging, and uh, but all the money's dried up. And so they fell. And a lot of companies rolled up and uh, went away. And, and they failed not because they didn't do everything right. It was just situational. So... Failure can happen. It can come at you front on, from the sides, can sneak up uh, behind you and get you. And you just have to realize that you got to get up, dust yourself off and get back on the horse and go out and create another success story. That's great advice. Thank you. Uh, <clears throat> last one, success. Success is daunting. Uh, success <laughs> is, is like failure. Uh, success can, you know, really, success is a uh, culmination of many different things. Success uh, is typically not one person, it's a team coming together and creating that success, creating the environment that fosters the success. Um, it always, uh, I like to say, well, many people have said that it's, it's quite a bit of success is just showing up. Uh, I don't agree with that. I think that you have to not only show up, you have to work hard, you have to work smart. And you really, again, positive attitude. You have to have a positive attitude. If you fail, uh, my attitude is that if you if you do fail, that success is just around the corner. That you can, you know, turn that failure into a success. You learn a lot of things when things fail. Uh, and success is uh, always out there. You just have to go find it. And just wake up every morning and know that you're going to find it. And if you do that, you'll find it. Terrific. That's great, great advice. Thank you. So we're done with the define the word warm up. Warm up. And uh, I want to kind of jump off from a couple of things that you said in there. And uh, one of the things you were talking about marketing, you're talking about sales, and you talked about how success is teamwork is such an important part of success. Uh, and uh, sales and marketing uh, sometimes work well together and sometimes not, not quite as well. And uh, I was hoping you could share your thoughts on what are the things that you've seen where marketing and sales are working well together and why? 
and where they haven't worked as well together and why some of those things, like what to potentially avoid. It's critical, it's critical that when you have a, uh, a early startup, early startups typically have marketing leading the way and then sales come on after. And it's critical that you find the right sales and marketing leaders that can work well together. Because when it becomes dysfunctional, things don't go well. Um, they have to be a partner. They have to, they have to live and work and, and, and really have the same goal in mind. Uh, competition uh, becomes a factor with a lot of sales and marketing departments because they're both trying to be, you know, the leader. Uh, the sale, all salespeople think they're great marketers. And all marketing people think they're great salespeople. And that's not always the truth. Uh, it is kind of a little bit of each. Uh, marketing people need to understand sales and sales need to understand marketing. And I think that a lot of salespeople mm -hmm. never really are taught what marketing does from the upstream to the downstream mm -hmm. uh, and how critical it is and important it is uh, for the the two organizations to be functional if they if they're not functional if they're not again working together very very closely and collaboratively uh that's when you have troubles within the organization or within the team and uh you know the ceo needs to bring those those two groups together and make sure that they work work well together and if they don't uh again that's when you have failure and very quickly things start to fail because marketing again helps define what the customer needs are and then sales helps deliver on that and to help the customer understand what the the needs are even if it's not always obvious sometimes the customer needs aren't obvious and you have to the salesperson mm -hmm. has to help uncover those needs and help the customer understand what they are so Again, it's it's critical that sales and marketing work closely together. Are there some some examples of activities or approaches that you've seen kind of the better? You mentioned U.S. Surgical, for example, having an excellent kind of marketing group and kind of leading, you know, the message for sales. What were some of the things you saw that were done there that you've seen in other cases where it didn't work as well, weren't done? You know, I, I was really, uh, I was out in the field all the time with U.S. Surgical. Uh, I can only say that their marketing team was brilliant, and they took the lead from a brilliant marketeer, and then that goes back to uh, Mr. Hirsch. Um, but, mm -hmm. but the marketing team at U.S. Surgical was always in the field. They spent a lot of time in the field. Um, that organization mm -hmm. would always bring the salespeople in. They did a lot of focus groups where the the salespeople really owned the customers and introduced them to the marketing people and then collaboratively worked with the mm -hmm. customer. So Rich, you've talked about marketing, you've talked about sales, success and failure. What do you think, what kind of activities have you seen that allow sales and marketing to work more synergistically together to develop, you know, kind of powerful messages and, and success in the field? So a great example is Clarent. Uh, Karen Long led the team at Clarent, and she really understood 
that the the two organizations, both sales and marketing, need to be locked at the hips. And and we did a lot of in-house activities. In fact, we trained many, many, many uh, physicians to do balloon sinuplasty uh, in the early 2000s. And just the the way that we, we training is an important part of it. And let me just say that training, sales, and marketing are really the triangle. Uh, the marketing and the sales are critical. They need to be locked at the hip. We need to bring, we, we did a good job bringing the customers in-house all the time. And marketing would always be there with us to understand the customer, to meet the customer, to greet the customer. And then marketing at a clarent would also come out into the field quite a bit and, and be standing shoulder to shoulder with us in the operating rooms, in the offices, with the doctors. And they really had the, the ability to help us collaboratively own the customer. And when I say own the customer, uh, it's own the, the customer's best interest and understand what they truly needed uh, from a physician standpoint. So the, the critical part was the training, marketing, and sales all working together to be successful. We took it personally when we had uh, a failure and we had doctors that didn't mm -hmm. adopt technology. We, we took it personally uh, and we also took it professionally. We saw it as a challenge and we all worked together very hard to win those doctors over and create this environment um, for the ENTs to adopt these new technologies in the operating rooms and in their offices. So I think that the, the sales and the marketing working together, uh, both owning the doctors, having a good game plan, uh, and also training, filling in uh, the gaps. And the most powerful thing for surgeons and clinicians is education. And sales, marketing, and training uh, at a clearance deliver that education to the, the clinicians. One thing you kept talking about was the customer and kind of keeping, you didn't say the customer at the center, but you kept referring to that. Uh, and I think that's kind of critical. That's a critical, critical piece of it, uh, according to what you're talking about. So uh, when you've seen it not work quite as well, uh, what's usually missing? Again, what, what really uh, helps or hurts, I should say, what really hurts the efforts is not understanding the customer's true need and what the customer really needs for their, their practice, for their patients, uh, the unmet need of the, of the physician. Uh, I've seen companies where the marketing and sales are very much aligned, but yet R&D is working in a different direction. The engineers aren't well informed of the true customer needs. And R&D, when you have a happy group of R&D, they're out innovating and developing new products. Uh, and But the CEO needs to take the lead and make sure that those organizations within sales and marketing have a clear messaging to R&D to develop the right products for the for the customer uh, and deliver them in a, in a way that the customer appreciates the the technology. So it's it's really failure to communicate mm -hmm. with the organization between sales, marketing, 
and upstream uh, upstream marketing and R&D. Yeah, great, great, great. For those who may not be familiar with the concepts of upstream and downstream marketing, could you give us your definition of that? So my definition, and again, a sales guy, my definition is the, the upstream marketing is really the analytical part of it. It's where the, the data points the, the messaging, you know, and so you're understanding what the, the market opportunity is. You're understanding all the numbers. You're understanding what the trends are. You're understanding what the capabilities of the R&D team. Uh, marketing can dream up a concept and deliver it to R&D and R&D just can't develop it. You know, and that's, that, I've seen that happen. And I've seen where R&D uh, develops a product and marketing never asked for it. So that, that point of the spear, if you will, for marketing, uh, the upstream part is really where the, the, the smartest, uh, they're analytical, they understand engineering, they understand uh, the marketing aspects and they understand what happens downstream or when you deliver the product to the end user. And so uh, the upstream is all about creating that opportunity with a product uh, that the customer will truly appreciate and, and, and want to use. And then downstream marketing? Downstream marketing, again, from a sales guy is when you put the bow on the package. It's the it's the uh, the colors, it's the the taglines, it's the going to the shows, if you will, the trade shows, mm -hmm. what the booth looks like, what the patch packaging on the product looks like, uh, and what the the messaging is. You know, upstream doesn't really worry about the messaging. Upstream worries more about the the specifics of the product. They're into the the nitty gritty details of uh the dimensions of the product and such downstream the product's been developed the product's ready to be delivered to the customer now how do you get that right how do you get the messaging right how do you get the colors right how do you get the packaging right does the packaging work for the customer for the doctor for the nurse for the technician that's at the or table or circulating uh in in the operating room or even the physician's office now so the downstream really puts the bow on the package uh, after it's delivered or just before it's being delivered to the commercial organization, the sales team. Mm -hmm. Great. Thank you for defining those. I appreciate that. Uh, question. So when you think about good sales organizations and great sales organizations, uh, what are some of those kind of finite differences uh, that you see great kind of medical device sales organizations doing versus that that are frequently missing in kind of like good sales organizations. Great sales organizations have great leaders. It's that simple. Sales is a difficult process. People think that you you have a product, you give it to a salesperson, they go out and people just buy it. It's it's really especially in medical device sales. There's many different things that you have to work through. You have to work through the, the, you know, understanding the customer's needs, delivering that, and then going into surgery or going into the cath lab or going into the doctor's office and being there when the clinician uses the product. 
and and you have to have the uh, great sales organizations are when the the leaders of those organizations stand shoulder to shoulder with their salespeople. They go out, they ride with the salespeople. They they understand and they they know they own those customers just like the salespeople, just like the marketing team. They have the touch points in the mm-hmm. field. Uh, so you you have to be both the you know, for a sales organization, you have to have a field general, but a field general that you can also uh, address the board, can address the CEO, can communicate at a very effective level and and truly help steer the organizations. The CEO is going to want to steer the company, but you need to have great sales organizations, need to have great leaders uh, to not only drive the company, but also to, you know, things don't always go perfectly. And you have to have a leader that can take a terrible situation and and help people through that. You know, whether it's uh, failure of devices, uh, patient complications, it could be uh, anything else that, you know, missed customer expectations, unhappy purchasing, purchasing people. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's really critical that the leadership owns that process and, and spends a lot of time in the field understanding uh, what the what the sales team's going through, and they have to have a passion. Your your leadership in the sales organization. If you want a passionate sales organization, you have to have passionate leadership, and that's that's really critical. It's uh, a lot of you have a lot of managers out there, but you don't have a lot of leaders out there, and I I've always thought that uh, you can you can train great managers but you can't train great leadership leaders can impart their wisdom and their their, their behaviors on people but it, it takes a lot to step up and be a leader uh, in an organization uh, that yeah astute observations and insights there Rich. so thank you for that uh, similar question for marketing. So when you've seen great marketing versus good marketing, uh, you talked a bit about marketing being in the field, understanding and owning the customer, working well with uh, education and sales. Um, are there any other things you can think of that really differentiate great from your perspective, great marketing organizations from good marketing organizations? Again, it, it starts at the top. It's just like the sales organization. You have to have great leadership at the top of the marketing organization. Marketing yeah. covers a lot. You know, again, you have upstream, you have downstream, you have shows, all the society shows, uh, the interaction with board members, the interaction with the entire executive team, and also the interaction with the customers. Uh, it's critical that the the leadership in marketing, just like the leadership in sales, understands the customers, understands the environment, uh, is out in front, not, you know, leading out from in front, not from behind. And uh, being technical, it's critical that the the marketing leadership is technical. They understand the product deeply. They understand what makes it tick. They understand also, uh, they understand what the customer is thinking and what the customer appreciates. In marketing, it's critical they're great listeners. 
if they're great listeners and they capture and they hang on every word mm -hmm. of the customer, both the internal customers within the organization and the external customers out in the field, mm -hmm. uh, at the hospitals, at the doctor's office, at the, the clinics, uh, that that's really critical that they understand and they capture every little nuance of of what the customer's trying to tell you. I love that idea of marketing needing to be great listeners uh, and uh, the concept you shared of them having both internal folks, you know, to whom they're messaging and speaking and external, right? Customers generally. I think those are great insights and really kind of key points to, to success and for the marketing team. So thank you for that. Uh, as you think about, and I'll say from a training and education department, because marketing and sales and kind of education slash training, you spoke about being kind of three critical structures to uh, understand the customer and kind of message out to the customer. Uh, what have you seen? What do you what do you see as a difference between excellent kind of best of class training and education organizations and good? Train organizations. What's that like extra factor? Yeah, you know the the tr excellent training organizations, and I've worked for a couple of them. Again, go back to U.S. Surgical, go to a Clarent. Uh, Randy Haynes ran training at the Clarent, mm -hmm. and Randy was a nurse and uh, still is a nurse, and he really hired great. He took a lot of time hiring the best of the best people. People that came on weren't individuals, but were team members. And he imparted his passion uh, for what he did in, you know, nurses or caregivers. And so he took it very seriously. He, when he was in training with the doctors, he owned the doctors. He owned for the, that brief moment, sales and marketing, or the, that brief amount of time when physicians or nurses were going through training, sales and marketing no longer owned the customer. It was, it was all training and Randy drove excellent organizations that, uh, were very precise, nothing, uh, everything had to be perfect. Everything you get there early, get set up. Uh, you know, you really, the cut, the, the customer at that point became the patient, you know, he, he made sure that his entire team understood that the customer was the patient that was going to go on the table that was going to have a procedure and so everything was perfect i also have to go back to the u.s surgical days also uh, where the the training department was superior and they trained us to aorn standards we all learned how to scrub in and those were the days when you could scrub in with the doctor and reload uh, staplers at the table, and which was amazing. You were scrubbed in, you were doing procedures, you weren't touching the patient, but you were standing shoulder to shoulder with physicians and scrub nurses, and you were part of the team. And so that really was the, the basis for many, many organizations later where training was is so critical. If your training mm -hmm. does not deliver the same amount of seriousness and precision as the clinicians, uh, you're going to fail and you're going to have an okay organization, not just a great organization. 
physicians really want to see a couple things. They want to see training department that is superior. When they, when they leave a company and you've trained a physician, if training is part of the sales process, you increase the chance of a successful sale uh, immeasurably because that right there sends a signal to the physician that you're very serious about what you do and you're passionate about what you do and you, you're passionate about what's important to them that when you run professional training programs. And then sales, uh, the salespeople have to be trained just as well as the trainers. You know, we learned that over the years that the, the salespeople have to talk the talk and walk the walk. They've got to be able to understand everything that's going on clinically and how the product works and how the physician is going to use that product, whether it's a nurse, a doctor, a respiratory therapist potentially. And that's really a critical part of training. That is what makes a, a organization superior, a medical device superior, a medical device company superior is the, the cornerstone really is of a medical, a great medical device company, the cornerstone is training and education, period. It's not marketing, it's not sales. Uh, that is, yeah, thank you for sharing uh, your thoughts on that. Those are the criticality, the idea of the criticality of training and education. You touched on kind of two pieces of that, right? Which is both internally focused training, if you will, kind of to train sales and other relevant groups uh, and externally facing training, right? To train physicians or healthcare practitioners, respiratory therapists, whomever uh, maybe the appropriate kind of customer group uh, is, is really critical to uh, kind of that consistency and that message and what you what you referred to at the beginning of our conversation about having the customer as the center at the center and focused on the customer, whether it's the physician or the patient. So that's great. Uh, is there, as you think about uh, medical device sales and marketing today or in the last few years, uh, it shifted a lot from the beginning of our careers, right, <laughs> to today. Uh, and I'm wondering if you would comment on, is there anything new that you see in the last few years that's, that is very critical for uh, training, education, marketing, or sales now uh, kind of more than ever? Understanding the economic environment is critical. It, when we first started, uh, DRGs had just been introduced and, and, you know, we did a lot to understand how DRGs impacted clinicians uh, in the OR. And so, but now it's become a lot trickier. You have consolidation, you have consolidation of organizations and great example is Kaiser. Another great example would be uh, mm. this Orlando health system, uh, Hopkins health system. And being able to understand not only the clinical needs of the, your, your end user, the customers, uh, but also the economic needs and having a deep understanding of that. Mm. Also distribution comes into play. Uh, when, when 
the year's distribution has creeped more and more. The, the importance of GPOs, the importance of organizations and having a great relationship with organizations like Premier, like Health Trust, uh, are two examples. So uh, the understanding economics, understanding the distribution, understanding the group purchasing organizations, those are things that really 30 years ago weren't big factors. Physicians owned the operating room. If they wanted something, they would simply ask for it, and the next day you could bring it in and they would use it. Over the years, that has gone away. Group, group purchasing organizations uh, really dictate or drive compliance. And physicians don't get everything that they want now. And they learn to use other products. So you have to, you have to understand the, the lay of the land, uh, the economics, the, the politics with the group purchasing organizations. Um, and also, uh, it, you know, it, it, it boils down to there are many different customers within a hospital now. Originally, it was doctors and the nurses. Now it's doctors, nurses, purchasing, uh, value analysis committees, robotic evaluation committees, robotic committees. Yeah. And so you, it's a much more complex sale. You have to understand all the layers of the sale uh, to get to a, a successful sale within an organization. Uh, great. Last question. So uh, you talked a bit about distribution and the shift in that. I think uh, the econ you talked about the economics and how critical that is today. And uh, one of the things I'm wondering is you think about startup companies and medical device startups. How critical is it today as a startup company to focus outside the U.S.? on the global market uh, versus focusing on the U.S. market, presuming, let's presume in this particular case, that the U.S. market is the primary market. So having a global footprint for a startup is a difficult task. Uh, the old question the old of how do you make a million dollars in sales in Europe? And the answer is you spend $2 million. And that's true. Uh, you have many different layers, again, uh, going international. You have uh, notified bodies that you have to work with. You have distribution agents that you have to work with. You have to figure out customs. You have to figure out shipping. The, unless you're an extremely, extremely well-financed startup, uh, I highly recommend you, you focus where 95% of your revenue is going to come from, and that's the United States initially. If you can get through the, the hurdles with the FDA and you can get your, your uh, 510K or your PMA or your even EUA now, uh, and that's going away sh shortly. Uh, if you can get through that, focus on the U.S. Put, your, put all your eggs into your, your, your biggest basket of opportunity, and that's the United States. The international markets can really, um, really burn your resources quite, quite rapidly. It's the, you know, you're on phone calls at three o'clock in the morning talking to Australia. You're paying crazy amounts of money uh, and burn rate to all these different 
uh, people that are in your supply chain, the shippers, the, again, the, the people who help you get CE mark, the people who, uh, you know, you have to get ISO 13485 to sell in Europe, not just CE mark, you have to have 13485 buttoned up. So, and then every country you have to get registration in. So you have to pay somebody to help you get registration in each individual country. Europe, for example, if you want to sell in uh, Europe, you, you have to get CE mark, then you have to get a country registration. Uh, if you want to sell in the UK, you have to go through the government, you have to go through NHS and NICE and, and understand all of their nuances. So international markets are difficult. Uh, if you Maybe if you have a cardiac product and you want to go to Germany first, you just focus on Germany. It's the natural tendency mm -hmm. of a sales team to want to go everywhere right out of the gates. And again, you have to be focused. You have to be have a narrow, um, a narrow beam of focus, if you will, uh, because the, the international markets uh, and sales, the sales process is very different in Europe. The, the, or I should say internationally, all of the international uh, customers pretty much expect that you're going to give free product and pretty much expect that everything's going to be on the dime of the, the company. Uh, you're going to pay for training, you're going to pay for education, you're going to pay for the free product, you're going to pay for all the travel, and you're going to, you're going to bring key opinion leaders from the United States to those foreign countries uh, to help sell the product, to help convince those clinicians that the, the product is a, a safe product, that it's a, a efficacious product. So international is, is an unbelievable opportunity, but you have to be really well financed to do it and you have to have a great distribution network. That's also a big part of it is the distribution network. You have to hire the right people that you can trust because again, international is daunting. There are a lot of different characters out there that have the right intentions, but uh, can't just can't deliver. They don't have the financial means. They don't have the the bandwidth to support a new product coming in from the United States. So, uh, in the past, I've always thought that if you have a new product, you go to Europe right away and get them to use it. Uh, that's changed. Uh, MDR has now come into effect. Uh, and so now it's more complex to get your product approved in Europe, uh, to get your, your product approved in Canada, to get your product approved in South America, like Brazil. Very expensive, very long process. Uh, again, for a startup, I would say focus, focus, focus on the United States. Initially, get some traction, get some clinical data, uh, get some publications, and then slowly pick your markets to go after, truly understand the markets, truly develop great relationships with your distributors that you can trust, and then slowly uh, work your way into the international markets. Great, so I think the summary there is focus, focus, and some more focus, right? You're burning other people's money, <laughs> and yeah, you need to get traction as quickly and as sustainably as possible. Anything that you would like to share around messaging, sales marketing, and training education uh, for medical device startups uh, that I haven't asked you today? 
I would just say that I encourage anybody who wants to get into a career where um, you you help people, and and that's really what the end game is. My company at Core Event, we save lives every day, and that's our mission. Our mission is not to just sell product or build product. We save lives with our ventilators, and that's that's really it's a really cool uh, thing to to talk about and to experience. We just had a, a person a couple days ago who called the company and their mother needs a ventilator. They called in from outside the United States and they were, they were willing to buy a ventilator for us from us. And if we could ship it to their country because they can't get a ventilator for their mother. Uh, and we did everything possible to try to make that happen. And at the end of the day, it was just a regulatory issue and we couldn't do it. But just seeing everybody in the company mobilize to try to make this work for that customer, uh, it was really impressive. And everybody has the same mission here. So medical device, very rewarding. Uh, the landscape has changed quite a bit. But still, if you, if you find the right company to work for, the right training program, uh, employee training is critical. Uh, when you get to a company, pick Pick the company that has the best training program to train you so you have a good basis for you, a great basis for the rest of your career. And that's what we had 30 years ago at U.S. Surgical. And that's really what has made uh, many vice presidents and CEOs and, and board members around the world uh, understand and be passionate about medical device. So pick the, your, the right company at the very beginning. Uh, do not hesitate if you want to help people get involved in medical device and it's a it's a very rewarding career that's terrific career advice for people who want to get into medical devices and how to choose their first company and have a long and rewarding career so thank you for that uh, that's great so three parting questions a little bit more fun okay <laughs> a little less medical device sales and marketing training messaging uh, Number one, uh, if you could travel, I know you do a lot. If you could travel anywhere in the world tomorrow, where would you go and why? Fargo, North Dakota, because it is a wonderful place to be. No, seriously, that's where our home office is now. We love Fargo. Uh, I've traveled all over the world. Uh, I've really, I've come to appreciate that the United States is a great place, uh, and uh, I, I guess the best places that I've ever traveled uh, as, as a medical device salesperson probably was Italy and also Australia. The people in Australia are fantastic. The Italians are fantastic. Not to say that the Germans aren't. Uh, I love Germany, um, and but Europe is great. Australia is great. Brazil was fantastic. So. It all depends on, on what you like. You know, it, the one thing is you never really have a lot of time when you go there because you're working constantly. You land, you get off the plane, you go right to see the customer or you go right to your hotel. You get up in the morning and it's work, work, work. And it's all day long. And you may get a nice dinner with, with the, your customer, but, you know, it's, it's just the travel is it's for the younger, younger people now. You know, the travel, flying for 19 hours, uh, 
it was great at the time. It was fun. It was exciting. It was an adventure. But I like staying in the United States right now, maybe going to Europe because it's only a six-hour flight. Uh, and again, Europe's great. Second question. Uh, what's one thing you wish more people knew about you? Oh, you're killing me with this question. Okay, so I think that... Yeah, I can't answer that one. It, I'm pretty open book. You know, people that know me know I'm very direct. That's, there's not a lot of very transparent about how I feel about things. And uh, I think that if there's one thing that people understand that I'm, I'm very focused, uh, but my focus is driven, I really think, because of my, my passion for what I do. And that is the medical device industry and helping, helping the patients at the end of the day. Terrific. All right, last one. If you could tell your younger self one thing, what would it be? If I could tell myself, a younger self, one thing. What I would have done earlier in my career is I would have actually uh, asked to join the marketing team for several years so I could understand marketing more. I think that the, the best CEOs really have a, a, a really good understanding of marketing, again, upstream and downstream. Uh, salespeople don't usually get that experience, so that's why you don't see a lot of salespeople moving into the CEO role. Uh, you see a lot more CEOs that were marketing professionals. So I think I would have asked to go into marketing for a couple of years uh, to get that experience to understand how the the internal customers think and truly what the needs of the internal customers in the company are. I love that answer. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, spent started in engineering, but spent my career in in marketing. That's really great to hear. Yeah, I think that internal focus and the team and how all that works internally uh, is so is so critical to understand how that happens. And I think it's as critical as you pointed out before for marketing and training education and R&D to be in the field with sales and understand how that works, what happens. Great, great advice. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, it's been great having this conversation with you. And thank you sh for sharing so much of what you've learned over the years that, can be, that will be very valuable to other medical device startups and folks who wanna join medical device startups. Thanks, Maureen. It's been, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Appreciate it. We'll see you next time on Message Engineer. Bye for now.